it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. If you're listening to Investing for Beginners, then you probably care about money and learning how to make a good relationship with your finances. Everyone's Talking Money is hosted by money wellness expert and certified financial planner, Shauna Game. Everyone's Talking Money focuses on relevant, inclusive, and forward-thinking conversations around money. Hear about the money topics you need to know, such as ways to train your brain to reach money goals, why you should ditch your budget and start tracking your cash, and everything you need to know about paying off student loans. Simple steps to start investing as a side hustle, ways to invest in rental real estate, how to overcome money trauma, and so much more. With over 900 episodes, there's a show for any and every money question you have. I'm a big fan of Shauna's as well. She has a relatable style and soothing voice that takes some of the stress surrounding money. Shauna really speaks to the listener and never ends in an episode without actionable tips. I recently listened to the episode, Stop Stressing Over Your Money, a simple budgeting solution, where she talks about her simple, easy one, two, three system for budgeting. It helped me a lot. Are you ready to learn everything about money that no one has taught you? Do yourself a favor and subscribe to Everyone's Talking Money podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. All right, folks, well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode 123. Tonight, Andrew and I are going to answer some listener questions. We got some great ones recently, and we wanted to take a stab at answering them for you on the air. So I'm going to go ahead and read the first question, and then Andrew and I will do our little thing. So our first question is, hi, Andrew. Uh, I currently make over six figures, and my wife stays at home with our 20-month-old twins. Wow. Uh, We have a little bit of school loans left, roughly 15000 I am snowballing the payments as well as to pay off quicker. My question is, should I continue to dollar cost average and invest or take that amount and put it towards the loans? I also put a little bit aside for my paychecks for my daughters. I also have a 401k with my company. I get a fully vested 3%, then 100% of my first 3%, and then 50% of the following 3%. So I don't want to lose out on the free money. Does it make sense? I just turned 34 last week as well. Thank you to you and Dave for all the advice, Constantine. Andrew, what are your thoughts? Hmm. So this kind of hits to home a little bit because uh, like I can relate with it and I think it's something that 
more and more people who are, I don't want to say like coming up, but, you know, starting their careers, starting to look into investing. Um, a lot more younger people have student loans. And so this is kind of one of those things where, you know, not only are you trying to figure out, you know, how do I make a budget? And then it's like, well, how does the stock market work? How does investing work? And then now it's like, well, should I invest or should I pay off debt? And, and you just get millions of different answers, right? So let's tackle that back half first. And I want to see what you think about the 401k to Dave. So basically, basically, I look at a 401k match as free money. And I think that takes priority over anything. So when we talk about the stock market and getting returns from the stock market, um, 10% would be average. I would say if you're getting 11% a year, that'd be great. So obviously that can compound over the years. And as time goes on, um, that little 1% can really make a huge difference in your total returns. A match, you can kind of think of that as a 100% return. You know, Where else are you going to be able to put $2, get $2 from somebody else, right? From the company who's matching. Granted, yeah, it's not 100%, 100% like I can spend this tomorrow. It's going to a 401k and you have to wait until retirement to take that out. But you know, if you're listening to a show about investing and, and you're talking about the future, building income streams, um, retirement is a part of that as well. And so I think it makes sense. He, uh, what's fantastic benefits, right? Uh, fully vested 3%. 100% of his first 3% and 50% of the following 3%. So even the second 3%, you're talking about a 50% return, essentially, if they're going to match 50 cents on the dollar. So pros and cons, I'm trying to think of any cons, right? Like um, tax, like maybe taxes, if if the <laughs> for whatever reason you want to pay taxes now, and then uh, maybe then that would deter you from going towards the 401k. But you know, I think I think 401ks match whether you're doing a traditional or a Roth. Anyways, um, I guess it depends on the employer. It depends on if they even offer a Roth 401k versus a regular 401k. But you know, he's asking. It sounds like he has student loans. I don't know what other kind of debt he has. But just off the 401k part, I think you utilize a match as as best you can because that's instant return that's a big return compared to what you could earn in any other investment yeah absolutely i, I you know as far as the 401k goes I, that for me would be like you said priority number 1 if if they're going to match your your investments in there then you got to at least put in the amount to get the match because that's that's free money that you will get to use at some point in your retirement. Whether you stay with this company or whether you go on to something else, you obviously can roll that money into something else and kind of go from there. So anytime that you can take advantage of, of free money, you got to do it. Uh, and I think that's kind of a no-brainer. As far as the loan part let me, of it, Let me ask I you guess. this. Let me ask well, you oh, this. Yeah. Okay. I, I think this hits a little dear to your heart. So mm -hmm. he talked about setting aside some money for his daughters. Now, yep. where, where do you put that in the priority list between I'm saving for my retirement versus putting stuff away for your kids? Because I know you have a little girl you like to talk about every once in a while. Yeah. Um, so I guess for me, it, I guess I'm in a different place. So 
I can't speak to, you know, what Constantine would feel. But for me personally, uh, I'm going to put as much as I can away for my daughter just to give her that that chance. You know, I, I unfortunately started later. It doesn't mean that I'm behind the eight ball. I'm not. But it also means that, you know, I don't have the same time horizon that you do, for example, and he does. You guys are much younger than I am. And so you guys have a longer time horizon to shoot for. But if you can start throwing a little bit of money uh, aside for your daughters now, to get the, the to get the process started, I mean that's going to be huge. Even if it's only fifty dollars a month uh, between the two of them, or even a fifty for each kind of thing, would be a huge head head start you could get for them for their colleges or anything that you wanted to do. And there's so many advantages that, and you know, um, another guest contributor on Andrew's blog, uh, Andy Schuler, wrote this great article about this very thing. Uh, that was posted on his site a few days ago. And he talked a lot about that. And I, you know, everything that Andy said in that article was spot on, uh, was perfect for what, uh, Constantine is looking for. As far as the kids go, I think that is, you know, anything that you can start, you know, the process, whether it's through a 529 plan or whether it's, you know, starting a custodial IRA for them, you know, there are different options you could go for, even if it's just a savings account and just start putting money aside at some point, because, you know, with what he's trying to do at some point that that student loan is going to be gone. And like Andrew said, there's other debts that he may, may or may not have that we, we don't know about, but once that 15000 is gone, the money he's using to pay those off can either go towards the other debts or it can go towards increasing his retirement or splitting it between he and what he's trying to do for his daughters. I mean, there's so many other different options that he could use to do that. And it doesn't have to all be right now. You can kind of step into those things as some of those other debts go away. Uh, that just frees up other money for you. And, you know, Two or three years down the road, once that debt is paid off, you know, he may be in a better place with his job as well. He may get a raise, get bonuses, all those things you can use towards either paying off the debt or, you know, adding as a bulk into an investment account. So, you know, if you get a bonus every year, why not take that bonus and invest it for your daughters every year? And that could be something instead of using it for yourself, you could use that as something that you could kind of use for your kids to jumpstart them getting a head start on their investing or their retirement or schools, you know, whatever it is that you want to do. I guess that's kind of my thought. That's really cool. That article you were talking about, it's called how to open an investment account for a child. Um, you can go on the website and search for it. It should pop up. Uh, he put on some cool, like there's like a spreadsheet on here that does some hypotheticals uh, with some different numbers. And so really highlighting how you could make a big impact for your kids, even just putting a little bit away, um, start them when they're babies. You know, we couldn't, maybe we couldn't start when we were young, but you could get your kids started. And obviously we're big on compound interest. When, when it comes to the the student loan, I think that's interesting because, um, I think the the discussion behind do you pay off debt or do you invest? I think that's such a highly emotionally charged debate because now that we have the internet and everybody has a keyboard, 
and everybody wants to share their own opinions, um, I think you can find so many different ideas behind that. And I think it's something that's important to consider because on the one hand, you have... I, 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 I don't know if you've heard this before where somebody says... Um, you know, I, I don't remember if they're talking about paying off a home early or paying off, let's say, a student loan early. So I don't know what the interest rate would be, let's say like 6% on a student loan. People say that if you have a ton of money, um, you should just pay it on the loan because if you're not, if you're taking that money and you're using it in the stock market, then it's the same as borrowing at 6% to invest in the stock market. You know, so they kind of make that leap where it's like, well, if you're not going to pay off the student the student loan early, um, then you're then you're essentially saying that you would borrow the money at six percent um, to invest in the stock market. I don't necessarily agree with that. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money. Not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Um, I guess my thought on the student loan part of it, I keep coming back to something that a mortgage uh, 
banker told me when I was at Wells Fargo. When you think about either paying off a mortgage or investing sooner, one of the big advantages, especially for somebody that's younger, time spent in the in the market is almost as important as the price you pay when you invest, right? And so if you let's say that let's say that you're investing and you're you're earning eight to twelve percent on your money, and the interest rate on your student loan is coming in at four and a half percent. Well, you're going to be ahead by you know anywhere from four and a half to six percent on the investments, and you have the advantage of that money is in there an additional three or four years, which time spent is going to increase the compounding effect and you're still going to pay off the student loan and you can start investing more of that money theoretically in the stock market. And I just, I just feel like that that is something that I have done and would do because I feel like that I need to have the money in the stock market for it to do the work that it needs to do. And every month or year that I do not invest in the stock market is one less year I have for the compounding effect. And so if I'm able to do both, then I would do both. Is it as much as I would ideally want to do? Probably not. But the flip side of that is that you can still get that money in the market and still have it working for you even while you're sleeping. And that student loan is every time you pay it down, you're paying, you're paying it down. And, you know, some of the things with student loans to help you pay it off faster is you can make extra payments. Even if it's, let's say you're, monthly payment is 200 bucks. Well, throw an extra hundred dollars on there. But one of the things that I was advised to do by a student loan counselor uh, when I worked at Wells Fargo was he said that you can contact your student loan and ask them to apply that to the principal. And that helps reduce the amount of interest that you have to pay over the the term of the loan. So even though you're paying $300, you can request how they divide that money up. And not all of them are going to do that, but most of them will. Uh, because they kind of have to. And so that would help you in the long run pay off the loan a little bit faster. Uh, so those are some things like th- that kind of pop into my head when I think about debt versus investing. You know, I just feel like that time in a market is so, so, so important that I'm willing to give up having that debt paid off a little faster than getting the money in the market for me. It's very tough question for me to answer because I'm highly passionate on both sides. On the one side, to me, I'm very risk averse and I don't like the idea of debt whatsoever. I think there's a Bible verse, the borrower is slave to the lender. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. And even if you look at my investment style, I don't like to buy, you know, you take two companies and one might be growing faster than the other, but if it has a lot more debt than the other, I would rather have the company that's maybe a slower grower, but has no debt or very little debt, very conservative. So on the that's like the one part where it's like, yeah, I get like, I, I 100% get the idea of wanting to attack the debt 
And then if you can attack it quickly, um, like Constantine said, then you can snowball the payment. And so now you have a much larger chunk of your income that used to be an expense. And now you can funnel that towards something else. And it can really get kind of like compound interest works like a snowball. You can get like your debt, what Dave Ramsey calls like a debt snowball. And you can really kind of turn the interest game around for you and and really gain momentum on what you're paying off. And, and that can help a lot with getting out of debt. On the flip side, I also think that, you know, if you're, if you're aggressively, I think everybody, you know, kind of to Dave's point, I think everybody should be putting something in the market because I think you take two people, one person put nothing in the market for 10 years uh, and just let's, let's take like a seven year time period, right? Cause a student loans like 10 years. So let's say they took their extra money, they paid off their student loan and that's seven years later. Versus somebody who maybe took 10 years to pay off their student loan, but they put a small amount of money in the market um, for those first seven years rather than paying off extra on the student loan. I think the second person who's at least putting something into the market, they're most times going to win, you know, uh, so many different factors, obviously, but I think as a general kind of concept, and it goes back to time, like you said, time in the market. And starting that compound interest early. So, you know, from a mathematical perspective, I get it. Like if you can achieve 10% return per year and your student loans at four and a half percent, obviously you're looking at a, a big difference and, and that should be like an obvious profit. Um, the real world results kind of fluctuate a lot more. And, and so it's not going to be as, as nice as, as our little theories, but I think it's a big reason why. I've been so passionate about just a small amount, just $150 a month. And I try to pound that on the table over and over and over again, because I think that's something we can do. I don't think, uh, you know, it depends on everybody's situation. And, you know, there's such a wide range of student loan debts and, and um, payments that people are making and, and then coming out and, and working in a career and having such a range in income. So it's really hard you know, what might work for one person with one career, with one type of student loan, with one student loan at an interest rate. Like I've had student loans that range in interest from, I don't know, I think from like four to 8%, just depending on, and that was just in like a four to five year time period. So a lot of these things can really fluctuate and it, it can really change the numbers and the calculations. And maybe you can drive yourself crazy trying to overanalyze it all. But at the end of the day, if you have money, I think most people probably don't have gobs of cash to be like, well, I'm going to chuck this, this student loan away in like six months and then, um, you know, aggressively invest the next six months. So you kind of want to make sure that, yeah, you're maybe attacking debt, but at the same time, make sure you're putting money in the market because I think that can be such a huge source of regret if you're not starting that compounding interest and who knows what stock it could be um whether you're just doing an index fund and letting those dividends reinvest and then you're dripping or if it's like a stock and, and maybe you pick 10 stocks one year and one of them really took off and that one gets your compound interest ball going and uh kind of really outpaces uh what you would have made by you know paying off uh, a student loan early. So it's it's a really tough thing. I think 
you have to gauge your risk tolerance and you have to gauge uh, what you're more comfortable with. I understand there's a lot of trepidation about putting money in the stock market and it's hard to see that your balances go up and down. Whereas with a student loan, that's kind of a guaranteed return on your money. So I, I, I get both sides, trust me. And I, I don't think you'll be wrong going one way or the other, depending on what's right for you. But I think the overall takeaway is make sure you're putting in something. So in this case, if that's, you know, I'm, I'm match, I'm putting in that match and I'm getting that 401k match. That's great. You know, now you have money in the market that's working for you and that's, that's building up great compound interest and you started as soon as you could. Um, whether that's, you know, I, I don't have great 401k options at my job, but maybe I can, I can put away 150 bucks, 200 bucks a month. And, and I have a little IRA I'm doing and I'm letting that compound and I'm also staying current on my payments. Or maybe I'm doing 150 a month in the stock market and I'm doing an extra $50 to my student loan on top of what I'm paying on the student loan. Whatever that is, I think those are the type of conceptual kind of big picture ideas that somebody needs to have. And then, you, you know, you can get deep into the numbers as as much as you want and as much as makes you comfortable. But at the end of the day, you know, you have to go with what makes you comfortable with the caveat. Don't let yourself miss out. And and trust me, I've heard every excuse in the book between this is the year the market's going to crash. How many years have we heard that? And, and we're hearing it today. And I heard it last year and the year before and the year before. So, you know, it's, it's not so much trying to get into the market at the right time, just putting even a little bit away. That's it's that consistency. It's that habit. You're building the habits that will really create wealth over the long term. And it's not, it's not the extra 3% we're making in the market every year. That's really not the big deal here. The big deal is setting that habit, letting the compound interest do its magic and making sure that whether you're striking a good balance or you're doing something, you've, you've thought it through and it's, it's a prudent approach so that you can kind of maximize what you have and, and maybe leverage that towards bigger and better things as time goes on. Hey you, what's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's very good advice. All right. So next question. Uh, hey, Andrew and Dave, I'm a 22-year-old finance grad who's been into investing for a few years now, and it's great to see two guys giving wholesome advice without some hidden agenda. Most of the stuff you guys teach is really great fundamental investing principles that every, every investor should be cognizant of and that many who don't grow up in finance just simply aren't aware of. My question revolves around how you both add to your current positions. Let's say you have 15 to 20 of them. How do you consistently add to all of them if you've got a few hundred bucks a month to invest? Many theories, ideas on this, just getting your guys' take to see how it compares with mine. Thanks, Charles. Andrew, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so obviously, you know, the 15 to 20 number, we've talked about that before. That's an ideal portfolio size. And so it gives you enough diversification where one stock that might die won't kill you. Um, but at the same time, uh, you're still, if you pick a good stock, you're, you'll still see good returns from it and you're not just going to mimic the market. So when I look, so if I'm, if I'm close to that, 
basically every month I'm looking over my portfolio and I'm seeing where are the stocks that I own now and how do I feel about the valuations versus before and the growth stories versus before. So, you know, I might I might uh, look at a company who just released a new annual report, and so that might change how I feel about kind of the health of the company or the growth of the company. But you know, from a day to day basis and a month to month basis, the stock prices on some of these companies are going up and down, and so some of the stocks, it's kind of like a, it's like a great irony because. And trust me, I experienced this just as bad as anybody else, where the stocks, you have stocks in your portfolio that go up. And so you feel really good about those. And those are the ones you want to put more money in. And then you have the stocks that go down and then you really feel bad about those stocks. And then like, it's like the makeup comes off of those. And then you just kind of see all the warts and, and all the negativity around um, some of the stock picks when their stock prices go down. And so instead of, you know, we always talk about, well, if a stock gets beaten up, you want to buy more and more. It, it can get really hard to do that. And so it's like the stocks that drop that you should be adding more money to are the ones that you you just don't want to look at and you, you look at the other parts of the portfolio. So if you can really kind of try to flip that and really use a stock that's dropping in price as an opportunity to really like dive deep into what's up with this company and you know we've talked before how if a stock is is beaten up like severely beaten up there's probably a good reason for it so you should find out what that reason is and then figure out for yourself whether that's something that the market's kind of overreacting to or is it like a real problem that that maybe uh warrants staying away from. So basically bottom line is you know you, you probably want to add to your positions there's probably a reason why you picked them in the first place. Uh obviously I'm always looking at new opportunities too and kind of weighing those in with what I have. But you know sometimes it, it might mean um holding off on the stock that's on your watch list because you still have some great stocks that that are at great deals because the market hasn't recognized them yet. And so maybe you should be adding to them. Um, and, and so that keeps your diversification while also kind of furthering your conviction about a stock and, and really challenging your beliefs on the stock and, and really challenging, okay, why, why at this valuation is, is this valuation a good discount to its intrinsic value, right? So you're really starting to, Think about the margin of safety, the intrinsic value. How what, what's the company really worth, and why is Wall Street not recognizing that? So I think being at a spot where you're at fifteen to twenty stocks is a great opportunity because it really forces you to look at your positions really, really closely with a keen eye, and really you can be pretty strict on on your standards and making sure that. All right. Anything I'm adding now really needs to be better than what's in there already, or the positions I have now should be so good that I'm buying even though it's down twenty percent. And that's super hard, and I'm not great at it. But I can say at least <laughs> with the last issue I released, I did exactly that. I have a stock pick that's down ten percent, and I just 
I added way more. So uh, really testing the conviction. But you know that going through that process really forced me to take deeper and deeper dives into the company. And I think that's very helpful. And so if anything, it should make you a better investor and um, make you hopefully um, to have this endurance of really holding that stock through thick and thin and, and really letting that compounding and the drip really take effect. And that's all fantastic advice. And uh, I echo everything that Andrew was saying. I, I think the 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 key takeaway from that is thinking about what the position is and why is it going down. And if you can't, you know, if if your investment thesis is still legitimate, and this is why keeping a, a, a journal or a diary about why you buy a company is important, because when you go back and analyze the stock like Andrew was saying and kind of seeing what's causing it to go down. If it's just the market being the market and Mr. Market is going, ha ha, having fun, uh, then, you know, put more money into it because it's going to be, you know, a great way to increase that position and help you down, down the road. If there is, you know, like Andrew said, it's really beaten up and there's a reason why GameStop wise that this is like, Hey, I got to get out of here. Then that's also a great opportunity as well. Uh, the, the I guess the one thing that I wanted to throw out there is one of the things that I do is if if I w- when I'm looking at my portfolio and I'm it's time for me to pull the trigger on, on investing the money one of the things that I will do is if if all the companies are kind of at a stable point and I can't really find something new to put into it I will pick one of my better dividend payers and I will put money into that. So I'll kind of dollar cost average into that company um, so that I'm continually trying to add to JP Morgan, for example, because it's a great company and they're doing well and they're doing all the right things and they pay a great dividend. So I will keep trying to add money to that position to take advantage of that. Is that always going to be the lowest position or something that is going to bring me the greatest return? Not always, but Again, kind of having time served, having that money in in there for me is going to help me that much more down the road. I guess that's kind of my thought. Yeah, I think it's always critical to kind of look at what you have and always think about, are you going to add more? Uh, whether you're at 15 to 10, well, I guess, yeah, when you're at 15 to 20, because I guess anything less than that, you probably just want to focus on getting to 15 to 20. But it's a great spot to be as an investor. All right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap up our discussion for this evening. I would like to thank Constantine and Charles for taking a moment to write into us. We really appreciate that. And I hope you guys got some good info from all of our answers. So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. 
laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, only prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChumbaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChumbaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. 